Being a Better Man, episode 134. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. The elementary school I went to was right out of the movies. It was a wooden structure with a bell tower, and it actually had a big bell in it with a rope hanging down, and the principal of the school, Mr. Thompson, would pull on the rope and ring the bell to signal when school was starting or when it was lunchtime, when recess was over, and when school was out for the day. There were only about a 100 kids in the whole school, from kindergarten up through fifth grade. I started at this school in 1969 when my family moved into the area. I was seven years old in second grade. And life was pretty good for the most part. My teacher didn't like me, but I spent recess catching frogs with a guy named Jay, or I would be playing dodgeball in the play shed or playing war games out in the field with all the other boys. So I was having a pretty good time until one day. Somehow, one day, someone found out that I was ticklish, and people would try to tickle me, and I would run. I became a prey animal. The groups of people that would chase me got bigger and bigger as time went on. Of the 100 students in my school, many of them were much larger than I was. I was only in second grade. It was only a matter of time before they would catch me. They would corral me in until there was no escape. Having caught me, several of them would hold me down, and the tickling would start. And tickling does not make me laugh. It makes me crazy. I hate it. And I would beg and plead for them to leave me alone. Of course, these older kids would not stop simply because I begged them to. They tickled me beyond the thresholds of my endurance. They tickled me until I wet my pants. And that was the goal. Getting me to pee my pants was their big payoff. Before very long, it became a daily lunchtime activity. Mr. Thompson would ring the bell, and I would immediately go into prey mode, emerging from the school onto the playground like a gazelle emerging from the safety of the forest, warily on the lookout for predators. Then the chase would begin, and and soon I would be crying, pants wet, sitting in the middle of the field like an abandoned carcass as the predators swaggered back toward the school, their bellies full again, full on the pain and embarrassment of someone smaller than them. I would call my mom and she would bring me dry pants. She didn't know why I had wet my pants because I didn't tell her. Her and my father were both becoming very concerned about me because it's not normal for a kid to wet his pants at school every day. I've often wondered about this. Why didn't I tell her? But just like many other abused children who never report the crimes against them, 
I think it was because I was just too embarrassed. I was embarrassed and ashamed that this was happening to me, as though it was my fault somehow. So I didn't tell my parents or the teachers. I just tried to deal with it on my own the best I could. As time went on, it was no longer just the older kids or just the boys who took part. It became a spectator sport for many of the girls, the younger kids, and kids my own age as well. There were these two evil twins at my school, Lowell and Lorne. They were small-built but vicious little boys who looked for all the world like demented, freckled leprechauns. One day there was an exceptionally large crowd in attendance of the spectacle. There were probably 30 kids involved, including about 10 girls. After I had wet my pants for the amusement of this group, the twins got the idea of taking my pants off since I was already restrained. This had never happened before. Then it wasn't enough for them that I was lying there half-naked, my wet pants bunched up around my shoes, they decided to pull down my underwear too, exposing my privates to everyone who was there. Fueled by the hoots and hollers and cheers of the crowd, the twins kept going. They decided to get sticks and began to poke and prod and knock my privates back and forth for a bit. They continued doing this for a while, encouraged by the squeals of the spectators, many of whom were now covering their eyes because they realized they were watching something that wasn't good. I had become kind of numb by this time. I couldn't cry or yell or scream any longer, and it wouldn't do any good anyway. I had two or three older kids holding down each of my limbs. There wasn't anything I could do. The bell rang, signaling the end of lunchtime, and all the kids just got up and ran off toward the school. They left me laying there naked in the middle of the field. Eventually I got up and I went into class late with my soiled jeans and dirt and grass all over me. And as usual, the teacher instructed me to go to the office and call my mother. I did, and she brought me some dry clothes. Later on that evening, my mother received a phone call. Apparently, one of the kids who had a conscience told their mother what they had witnessed in the schoolyard that day. Their mother then called my mom. When I was asked about it, I finally erupted in a tearful confession. There wasn't any more reason to be quiet. The awful secret was out in the open now. Understandably, my parents were enraged. The following day, my mother tore the school down, figuratively speaking, and an end was put to these lunchtime shenanigans. It sounds awful, and indeed it was, but I didn't suffer any long-term effects. I didn't become a victim. It's just another in the long stream of happenings that have shaped me into who I am. In later years, I became an advocate and protector of the underdog. There are few things in life that enrage me, but one of these things is the mistreatment and abuse of the small and the weak. By the time I was a senior in high school, I had a virtual flock of downtrodden underclassmen that looked to me for protection. No one would mess with them if they mentioned my name, and had I not endured my own personal torture, perhaps there would have been no one to look out for them, no one for them to turn to. So it all works out. Everything does. 
things happen for reasons, and there's some good that can come out of every bad situation. It all goes back to the formula for life. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what we do about it. It's up to us to squeeze every drop of good out of every situation and then use that to make ourselves better. Here's the deal, though. It's almost impossible to make anything better or discover an advantage when you are being a victim. When you're a victim, things are happening to you. You have no control and no hope. Even long after the situation ends, you will continue to be a victim if you focus on your victimization. Remember, the things we focus on expand. So if you're focused on being a victim, then that is what you will remain. It isn't until we break out of that victim mentality that we can finally move forward. Well, that's it for today, guys. Now head out into the world, not as a victim, but as someone who is prepared to squeeze the good out of every situation. That's how you will be able to help yourself and also help others who might be going through their own little bit of hell. We are all the sum total of all of our experiences. And it's up to us to figure out how to use them to become a better man today than we were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.